The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and an organization called Renew led a track called Renewing the Teaching of Jesus for Disciple Making. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. Now here's today's track session. One of the disclaimers that I want to say at the very front end of today, you know, sometimes maybe we, make multiple maybe disclaimers. Maybe multiple disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll give one perfect <laughs> disclaimer that we'll hold on together, is that if we say if we say anything today that sounds too good to be true, it is. Um, you know, I think sometimes in settings like this, when we're trying to talk about how we take steps towards uh, effectiveness, how we take uh, you know ground in the kingdom, it's easy in context like this to to sound like, oh, if you do this, then it always goes this way, it always works this way, it always, and that's just not true. We all know that to be true, but can we just acknowledge on the front end of this that if, if at any point today we say something that sounds like that's the silver bullet, then either we misspoke it or you misheard it or we'll do both. And so we want to we wanna take just the next little bit to share some things that God's been doing in us, and uh, hopefully it will provide a framework for you in your context. You can take it or leave it, and then uh, we'll end with some Q&A and hopefully be able to bring it on down to the ground for you. And so, uh, you know, in a conference like this where everybody's talking about discipleship and disciple-making, there's a thousand different directions we could go, but we want to hone in on one really kind of narrow pathway this morning, and uh, it, because maybe you can use that and adapt it in your context. We, we want to talk about kind of four key stages that, that we find ourselves moving through every time we're trying to make a disciple, whether it's us discipling our man tribe, the little group of boys, or us discipling a church planner, or us discipling somebody in our church. Um, anytime we're trying to make disciples, we find ourselves going through kind of four key um, parts of the journey. And uh, every person we disciple, it goes different. Um, but maybe these, these things will be helpful to you. So I want to pray over us, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. We'll kind of walk through those four key areas, and then uh, spend some time answering questions if there are any. Lord, I love you, and I just thank you so much for the gift of getting to be here amongst uh, your children, your servants, uh, these men and women that love you. I just think about what a what a reflection of their heart that they would give up time, resources, energy to come learn how to engage in what you say is of utmost importance. And it just gives us such insight into each other. And I just thank you for them. Would you bless them this weekend? Refresh them. Uh, God, would you uh, use us to spur them on in the work that you've already called them to do? Um, Lord, would you protect us from distracting them from anything that you have them uh, uh, about? And would you just use us as gasoline on the fire their hearts. Um, Father, we pray uh, that you would make Sydney and I um, forgettable in some ways, but that Jesus, you'd become non-ignorable, and that uh, your ways, your practices, your um, your leadership would just raise up to the surface, and that these words today would just be scaffolding for that, and um, that what you're about would really uh, uh, be of utmost um, pride and joy in this room today. So thank you for these people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. 
and give thanks. Amen. And so we're, we're going to start just going to walk through four uh, areas of discipleship that we found. And, you know, I'm a baseball fan. I know I'm like one of 11 people left in the U.S. that like baseball, but I'm just going to own it. And uh, so, you know, we always use this diamonds. It just kind of helps me think about the, the journey. But for us, kind of the first aspect of, of discipleship, you can write shit up the hand right The first phase of disciple making for us is the phase of invitation. Of invitation. Now, I know this sounds so obvious, but but um, to us, this is really, really important. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus broke a lot of the rules in this. Uh, you all have already taught this and probably teach it better than I would teach it. But, you know, he, he comes and he says, shows up at their workplace. He says, leave your nets, come and follow me, and I'm going to make you into something that you're not. And he finds them as they are, and he invites them into something more than they could have ever imagined. It's the, it's the invitation of Jesus. You know, the rabbi coming to the future disciples saying, come and follow me. And that was a very countercultural thing during the days of Jesus as much. Did you know? And so he would come and he'd say, I want you to come in. I want you to be in a relationship with me. And then I'm going to send you out in kingdom responsibility. One of my favorite uh, pictures of this is in Mark chapter 3, um, verse 14. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, where Jesus is sitting in front of a huge group of people. And I want you to think about just how awkward these dynamics would be. But Jesus is in this huge group of people. And in Mark chapter 3, he makes a statement. He says, he says, hey, there's some of you that I want to come be with me. And then I'm going to send you out to do, you know. What I, what I want you to do, to teach, to preach, to raise the dead, to heal the sick. And it's amazing. He starts calling out the apostles by name. And, you know, we read that list of people, but I wonder what it was like for the other guys and gals that were sitting there. It's like, wait, is he done? Is his roster full? Like, <laughs> just 12. Like, you know, like, okay, maybe he's going to be the JV team next, you know. But there's this moment where Jesus, he, he starts the discipling journey by, by clearly inviting them in. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says he invited those that he wanted to be with him. That was a statement of relationship. And those that he wanted to send out to do what he'd been doing, that's a statement of responsibility. And so for us, this invitation, it carries with it an invitation into both relationship and responsibility. And what we found is if when, you're, when we're trying to make disciples, if we don't have a clear, passionate, equal emphasis on both of those things, your disciple-making journey gets off to the wrong start at the very beginning. So if, if you start with an overemphasis on relationship, but no understanding of the kingdom responsibility you're trying to train them into, what you end up with is a bunch of cozy Christians, really comfortable in where they're at. If, uh, if you invite people into kingdom responsibility, but you don't invite them into loving gospel relationship, what you end up with is people who are really stressed out and really burdened and really bogged down. Uh, if, if you invite people into something and you never develop a relationship and you never give them any responsibility, uh, you don't have a discipleship culture. You just have a dead, you have a dead consumer Christian. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, no relationship, no responsibility. Um, but if you invite them into deep relationship and deep responsibility, you end up with an empowered discipling relationship. And this is, this is language that we've adapted from our friends Mike and Sally Breen who helped start 3DM, but it became an important picture for us as we started thinking about, okay, you know, if I'm going to invite Josh into a discipling relationship, what is it that I'm actually inviting him into? What I'm inviting him into is a season of deep relationship marked by 
kingdom responsibility. It's what, it's what Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, our Father, it's relational in heaven, hallowed be your name, your what? Your kingdom, kingdom come. It's about responsibility, right? It's, it's his both and picture of the kingdom. This is where I take over because I'm going to tell you about ways that maybe we've not done it so well, right? So I tend to be very extroverted and very relational, which I can lean into only relational and ignore the responsibility, which means I start to develop really cozy relationships and really cozy discipleship. So what that looks like is I have women come into my house and we'll sit on the couch and we'll be very close. Like they'll pour out their guts. You know, I'll be able to help kind of walk them through some stuff. But I also struggle with people pleasing. Any of you relate to that? Yeah, women's no, hands, all the women's hands like, yeah. So I struggle sometimes to challenge and push and move them out of the cozy because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to push them away. And I'm like, what if they run away from Jesus because I push them too hard? You know, so I have a little bit of fear. What I've learned is I've got to get over myself and I need to fear God more than I fear man. That is a complete just confession. I still work through that. But identifying it has helped me so much in moving out of only cozy but adding this where women feel loved and heard and known to then also being challenged. So it does dip them into a little bit of, I'm a little stressed with what she's telling me to do right now. But as I walk with them, I don't abandon them in that challenge, right? I walk with them in that. And as I do that, it pushes them into empowered disciples, right? We all have giftings. And until I push you into that, into your uncomfortable zone, you won't be working in the responsibility. You'll just be resting in the father relationship. And you know, I know that's crazy, but one of the things that we've seen, especially in North American context, a lot of our small groups in our churches end up in this cozy quadrant really quickly because we live in a culture that values authenticity <laughs> and vulnerability. And you have to have a comfortable, cozy environment to be authentic and vulnerable. And so what happens is a lot of times we end up having groups that have a misapplied, and I think it's a key word, a misapplied and misunderstood um, view of grace. And so it, what I mean by that is they come in and they say, man, you know, this is a safe place to talk about all the junk, all the sin, all the brokenness, all the pain, but there's no expectation that the power of Christ will liberate us to move beyond it. And so we end up in, in cozy cultures. And so, um, you know, we laugh. Like, if Sydney's kind of left to her own devices in discipling relationships, a lot of times she'll find herself drifting in this cozy quadrant. If I'm left in my own devices to uh, disciple relationships, I end up in the stressed out quadrant because, you know, my guys will show up and I'm like, I don't care about your name, don't care about your children. We've got, <laughs> we've got things to do. Let's, let's go. And I mean, you know, it's kind of that quintessential, like, you know, like male, whatever where you show up at the gym you haven't been there in six years but you work out as though you've been there every day and then you can't move your legs the next month you know and so if, if I'm not careful what I end up doing is creating creating relationships where they know exactly where we're going and exactly what we're trying to do but they're not sure that I love them they're not sure that God loves them they're not it's, and that's a bit of hyperbole but maybe you understand the reality where this kind of discipleship ends up producing people who are externally doing a lot of the right things, they're showing up in small groups, they're reading the Bible, they're doing the disciplines, but they're not bearing in a, any of the internal disposition of fruit of Jesus himself. It's that workspace. It's, it, it's, it's that workspace. You know, have you ever been around somebody that has worked and done so much for Jesus and then you sit down and you start uh, talking with them and you go, man, I'm not sure that they're secure that Jesus loves them. We were several years ago sitting and we were discipling a young couple and we took them out to dinner and from our perspective, I mean, this couple was just crushed. 
washing it in the kingdom. I mean, love the Lord, great marriage, serving the church, all these things. And I remember we're sitting there at this dinner table, and I just asked a question to the wife. I said, hey, if Jesus was sitting here physically, what do you think he'd say to you? And in my mind, because my perspective really were, I thought, man, you're my beloved daughter. And, you know, I thought it was going to be all this encouragement. And she said, Dave, I think you would say, I, I just wish you'd work harder. And I realized, oh, she's scared to push into a relationship because she's scared if she gets close, he's just going to reinforce this narrative that she already has. That no matter how hard she works, she's never going to get there. And so what we've found is left to our own devices. Like, if we're not walking in the context of, like, really chasing after Jesus together, um, we'll end up producing disciples that will end up in some kind of unhealthy places. But together, together with kind of a view of saying, hey, we're trying to invite people in. Just like Jesus. We're going to call you by name. We're going to set some expectations. We're going to set some goals. But those expectations and goals are always going to start in the place of relationship because Jesus always starts by speaking identity. You know, the Father, before Jesus had healed the sick, raised the dead, preached a sermon, He said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, right? Identity. Adam and Eve in the garden. The Lord blessed them. He blessed them. That was the first thing. He blessed them. I'm like, what have they done? They've been created. They've had a day off. Like, that's all they've done. And he blessed them. And then he sent them out to subdue the earth and rule it. Right? The responsibility. So uh, as we're thinking about this invitation, as we think about how we're trying to name this, whether it's a small group or the church planter or their children, we try to name, this is an invitation to come do life with us relationally. We're also going to move into something in the kingdom. And so that first space is invitation. One thing, just want to give you guys a practical handle what this looks like for me within power. You know, so how did I move myself out of cozy? Just practically what I did, there were some things I felt Holy Spirit was putting on my heart a few years ago to do a women's worship night with our church. So I initiated it, led it, but I didn't do it alone. I saw the giftings in other women. I said, hey, you're gifted at leading worship. Hey, you're gifted at praying with people. You've been a prayer warrior since I've known you. And I pulled those women alongside me and let them run in their giftings and just empowered them in their area. So something they never would have done on their own, I just gave them that push and I let them run. Does that make sense? So that's practically pushing them out of a comfort zone and pushing them a little stressed, but what God has gifted them in, and now they feel empowered, and I've not led another worship night since. Somebody else has stepped up to the plate and done it, right? Because we can only do so much on our own. We need a community to run with. Yeah, so it starts with that place of invitation. The second kind of movement for us in the disciple-making journey is we move from invitation to information. To information. Now, this is really important, and I think this is actually one of the things that we as American Christians actually tend to embrace and do really, really well. You know, we're, we're an education-based culture, you know, but I want us to see this in the lens of the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus would do this all the time. You know, he'd show up and he'd say, hey, listen, you've heard that it was said your whole life, but I'm telling you the truth. Hey, you've heard that it was said. Hey, I'm telling you the truth. Hey, you've heard it's this way. I'm telling you it's this way. What Jesus was doing as he was inviting people into this relationship is he was he was recognizing that they were all they had all been swimming in the information of a competing kingdom. They'd all been swimming in the information and been given to them by the culture, by the religious order of their day. Uh, they'd been taught how the, the world works, 
my house is all fit together. And Jesus, after he invited them into relationship, you know, it's that beautiful moment of the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to give them kind of his manifesto of what life in the kingdom of God is going to feel like. And what he's doing is he's imparting a, a new way of information to begin uh, transforming, as it's applied, transforming the way that they live. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 12, verse 2, right? Where he says, we experience transformation by the renewal of our what? Our minds, right? Like there's there's this renewal of the mind that, that is a significant and important part in the disciple-making journey. So Sydney and I, uh, it, just to make this very practical, when, when we're inviting somebody into a disciple-making space with us, um, we, we begin asking the questions, okay, what are the areas of their mind that need to be informed or reinformed in order for them to walk faithfully as an apprentice of Jesus? Like, like what, what are the things, what, what are the worldviews that need to be challenged or reinforced, strengthened, or um, put in place for the first time? Like, what are some of those things? And so we begin asking several questions. That we can share with you. So one of things that we think about are some of the kingdom principles and practices that we need to help them grow in. So kingdom principles, like talking about information, renewing your mind, being in the Word. So if they're not practicing reading Scripture regularly, studying the Word, that's something we need to help them implement. You know, that, what does that look like to practice that? It means daily being disciplined and getting up early and giving the first fruits of your day to the Lord. Maybe that's what it looks like. Maybe it looks like, hey, you need to just print out some Scripture and put it in your car, put it on your mirror, so that it's constantly you're being renewed every time you're reading that. Just give them some practical things to do in principle and in practice. But what I like to think about is things that they are doing well, like their strengths that they're doing. And I want to point that out and call it to the surface and say, hey, I see this in you. You know, you've got that gift of encouragement. How can you continue to do that for the kingdom in even greater capacity? So I'm going to call it what they're doing well and help them realize that's a principle and something they can practice better. But I'm also going to call out the weaknesses. So like maybe Sabbath. Maybe they're working really hard for the kingdom, but they're not resting at all. They're not letting go. letting God be in control. They're controlling it. So, all right, so let's start with baby steps on Sabbath. I want you to take Saturday, 8 to 12, and I want you to spend time with the Lord. You know, because for a whole day, some people that are productivity people, checklist, you know, you write down shower, and they've already done it, so you can check it off, right? <laughs> I do that. So, <laughs> so that productivity, it's hard to tell someone to give a whole day to the Lord if they've not been practicing that. So though it's a principle, they've not been practicing it. So I'm going to call out where they're doing things well, but I'm also going to call out where maybe they're lacking, where there's more blessing and obedience to come through that. And so, you know, as we're thinking about how do we inform them, some of it comes down to principles and practices. And uh, some of it for us comes down to place and pace. Place and pace. And, and, um, and here, here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, so for instance, when I was getting this group of dads together, you know, so we've got three boys, and Sydney and I are wrestling with, okay, if we disciple our boys in a couple of years, um, we're going to lose a lot of our influence with them because their friends are going to be bringing all of the, you know, their friends are going to be most influential. And so I started going, okay, so if I want my boys to keep walking with Jesus, I need to figure out how to disciple their friends. How am I going to 
to do that, well, I'm going to disciple their friend's dads. Okay? So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to disciple their friend's dads so they can disciple their boys. And one day, their boys are going to think their dads are stupid, but they'll think I'm cool. And my boys are going to think I'm stupid, but they'll think they're cool. And they'll have no idea we have this great conspiracy in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, so we came up with this and we thought, okay, um, what are some of the principles and practices that we want our boys to, to live out, like just as men of God one day? So we kind of sat down, what are some of those things that we want to inform them of? But then we started asking the question, okay, um, what is the place, like what's the setting that those kinds of practices will take root in their life? Because we've got, you know, 14 boys under the age of 8. They're not sitting in a classroom with notebooks and whiteboards. Like, you know, it's chaos. It's chaos. Like, how, how am I going to instill the things of the kingdom? Like, what's the setting for that? Uh, what's the place? And then what's the pace by which this is going to go? And so we're laying out some of these principles. And we're going, hey, this isn't a six-month journey. This, this, this isn't, you know, 10 Wednesday nights in the fall. Like, you know, this, this, is, this is a 12- or 14-year journey probably. Like, okay, if that's the pace, if it's going to take that long time, um, then what are the settings along the way? And how do we begin to see discipleship not just as this transactional reality? You know, um, our people are not hard drives. We're not taking stuff off of this little jump drive and plugging it in. You got it. You're good. It's, you know, if it took Jesus three years every day with a group of people, we will not accomplish it in one hour on a Wednesday night, six weeks in a row. It just doesn't work. We're not smarter than him. We're not better than him. We're not more power. I mean, I, so I look at that and I go, okay, if it took Jesus three years, it's probably going to take me like 13 years. I mean, it's just going to, you know, there's this one guy that I've been discipling. I'm doing his wedding tomorrow. I've been discipling him for almost seven years. And uh, people go, man, why have you been walking with him so long? I'm just not Jesus. It's probably going to take me much longer. Right? I just, you know, I'm slow. But as we begin to think about this, you know, this invitation that starts with relationship and responsibility. Then we move to this place of information where we start asking questions like, okay, what are the principles and practices that we want to distill in our disciples? What are those principles and practices? What's the place that we're going to do that? Is it going to be in a classroom? Is it going to be in our living room? Is it going to be in the car? Is it going to be around the campfire? And what's the pace by which it's going to, you know? Like, can I really teach somebody? Can I really teach someone how to rest in their identity in God? Can I do that on the weekend? Maybe I can start the conversation there, you know, but like, what's the pace by, by which this goes? And what, what I found is it is often much slower and much messier, much longer than I want to be. And so it's invitation, it's information. And then the third place for us is uh, imitation. Imitation. And this is one of the things that I think um, as American Christians we tend to struggle with a lot. And I think there's reasons for this, but. Uh, my sense of why we struggle with this this space of the journey is because um, one, we're overcommitted, we're overcommitted, we're very busy people, but we're so interested in being productive, and making progress. It's really difficult to think about the fact that discipleship really only begins to take root when we invite people into the personal spaces of our life, and over a long time. Over a long journey, people begin to imitate us as we follow Jesus. Where people, this is the space where people begin to see for the first time. Oh, that's okay. That's what that's what you mean by Sabbath. 
Hey, that's how you get in the Word, even when we have three toddlers running around the house. Hey, um, oh, that, that, that's what you mean by this thing you've been teaching me. It's only in the personal space where people get to, to be around us, where they get to, uh, to begin imitating kind of what Christ has been doing in us that I, I believe discipleship starts for. Um, again, just another practical piece to this with imitation. I think about our boys. You know, I'm passionate about cycling women, but I also have three boys in our home, and it's not just Dave's job to steward them well. It's my job as well, and hopefully one day they will be seeking out a godly wife, and I also want to show them what that looks like as a wife and a mother, so it's multifaceted. Um, one of the things I enjoy doing is cooking. It's actually a creative outlet for me, so when we want to bless people and take meals to people, the boys go with me, and it feels like chaos, but they're in the car, and we have the conversation when you smell that food in the car and we're on the way, say, hey guys, why do we do this? He said, because Jesus did. I was like, great, because Jesus fed people, right? He took care of their needs and he loved them. So that's why we do it. So they're coming along with me and one day they'll imitate that. They'll say, hey, how can I care for people through basic needs and love them in Jesus' name through their basic needs? Uh, another thing I think of is, you know, a couple, just about two weeks ago, we went to a friend's house and she just come back from abroad and just um, felt just the darkness that had come back with her and she wasn't able to sleep well, just just felt like she was being spiritually attacked. And you know, I could have said, I don't have capacity or space for that. I have three children, I just can't. Um, instead, I said, hey, we'll meet you at your house. Um, we'll be there at three. And on the way over there, um, I pulled into the driveway and I just stopped the car and turned around in, in the minivan and I just looked at my boys and I said, hey guys, I said, are you ready to go to war? And they go, I need you to prepare for battle. I was like, we're going in for battle. It's the things you can't see, right? And I need you guys to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I need you to put on the truth. Get out your swords, you know? Like, we're going in war. And I prepared them, and I prayed over them. I'm not ignorant. Like, I prayed protection over them before we walked in there, right? And then they came in with me, and they participated. You know, they did color on the side for part of it when we're talking afterwards. But I pulled them in, and my boys gathered hands, and we gathered around our friend, and we prayed over her. And we prayed against darkness. And so in a moment that I could have said, Matt, I'm not going to do it. Instead, I invited them in. I informed them of what we were going to do, and then they did it with me. You know, and this is what we see Jesus doing, right? You know, his disciples, they get invited in. He gives them the manifesto there on the Sermon on the Mount. And then in Matthew chapter 10, he begins to send them out to imitate all the things that he had done. You know, and it's pretty sure if they were technically Christians at this point. You know, Jesus would have been fired from all of your churches for doing this. But, you know, he sends these disciples out to preach, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cure the leprosy. And don't, don't you know, I just love thinking about that moment. Like, they're in a graveyard at night. You know, they're all sitting around. Okay, how do we do this? <laughs> he said, raise the dead. You know, one of them has a shovel. You know, it's like, how's this going to work? You know, but that they, they were given the opportunity to go to go imitate. And it's, it's messy. You know, um, Sydney was talking about our boys. One of my favorite memories was from uh, not too long ago. We had a neighbor who was really sick, and she's going to pass away. And we're going, oh, over, we're going over there, and, and we're going to get real, y'all. You know, we're, we're over there, and we've been praying just that God would bring healing, and we're trying to love on this family. But Sydney, you know, brings our boys into this context. Hey, neighbors, she's getting ready to pass away, and, and here's what's going on. And, and so they go over, and you know, they're in the room, and they're praying over her, and it's great. And then, you know, they're walking out the door, and as soon as they walk out the door, our three-year-old opens the door and sticks his head back in. Hey, she dead yet? Yeah. <laughs> 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 
And then our older son asked, or our, uh, one of our older sons asked the, the guy, hey, uh, you know, one day when you die, can we have all the comic books get in Tony Comic Books? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, this is utter failure. <laughs> he probably wanted to come over for dinner. Yeah, yeah, he has rejected all of our, yeah. um, all of our help since then. But, uh, you know, that, 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 that's how it is. That's how it is. It's these spaces where we invite people in. You know, part of our church, we, we have house churches. Kind of some of your small groups, and, and you know, last year in our house church, we, we kept talking to them about engaging neighbors, engaging neighbors, engaging neighbors, and we realized that none of them knew how to do it. Every one of them wanted to do it. They wanted to do it. They didn't know how to do it, so they were scared to do it, so they wouldn't do it. Like that was the cycle, right? I know I should. I don't know how. I'm scared to death. I'm not going to do it. And so they'd show up, and we keep talking about engaging neighbors, but it wasn't actually happening. And so we realized, oh, we've got to invite them into a space where they can see this practice. And then they can imitate it. And so, you know, they were meeting in our house every week. So we said, hey, here, here's what we're going to do. Um, it's Christmas time. Um, we're going to get all of our neighbors together. And we're going to make hot chocolate and cookies. And we're going to go Christmas caroling around the neighborhood. We're going to have all of our neighbors back over afterwards. To, we're going to cook s'mores in our backyard. And, and they're like, is that going to be weird? We're like, just watch it. Just watch it. There will be Christians and non-Christians here with us. And, and we're going to do this. And, and just them watching it. Going, oh, it's it's not this hard of a thing to engage your neighbors, you know. Um, it won't always go well. It'll be weird, you know. Um, but they got to watch us as we go sing carols. We bring cookies. We pray over our neighbors. We ask questions. They see things going on, and they went, okay, now that's not this grand mystery, you know. It's not this. It's, you know, I think a lot of times that's where the devil operates. Is we have this kingdom information that we want to apply, but we we're only trying. To apply it against our kind of mysterious lack of like, what's that look like? And so we think part of our role as disciple making it starts with us inviting them into relationship and responsibility of us informing them with practices and principles, with the pace and the place. And then this moment of imitation where we bring them in to break that cycle so they don't get stuck in the realm of, I know I should, I don't know how, I'm scared to death, so I don't do it. Break that cycle uh, by giving them the space of imitation. And the last space for us is is the work of innovation. Innovation. So what Jesus talked about in John 14, 12, it's the verse we all quote, none of us believe. Jesus says, Surely you're gonna do even greater things than I am. And we're like, we love that verse, we put it on coffee mugs and t-shirts, it's the theme of our retreats, but none of us actually believe it. Because it's just so daunting to get our heads around, right? Like, what? Like, how's that gonna work? But but, but it's true. Jesus is a truth teller. You know, this, this guy who never traveled more than 60 miles from the place that he was born, never set foot on an airplane, never had a picture taken of him, never wrote a book, never did any of the things that we consider like all these... He has managed to leave his fingerprints on every nook and cranny of culture all across the world. How has he done it? Because the disciples that he trained have taken his ways and have innovated as the human story has moved on. Healthcare, education, finances, entertainment, I mean, they've all been touched. They've all been touched by the hands of Jesus and his disciples because they have innovated, innovated on some of the things that he gave them to do. And what we believe is so so much fun in the disciple making journey is when we bring people in and when we begin to inform them of the kingdom and they begin to imitate our ways, we know a moment is coming where we're going to release them on their own to go and make disciples. And there's going to be some things that they do just like us. And there's going to be some things that they do much better than us. 
and there's going to be some things that they do that we wouldn't even have had the capacity to dream about, like because the kingdom of God has taken root in them. And this is the goal of, of where we want to get um, as as we think about disciple making. And if, if you don't go in this order, if a lot of times what happens, especially with young adults, you know, 80% of our church is under the age of 30, and a lot of times they want to go from invitation stream to innovation, it's like, oh, come be my disciple. Okay, we got all these ideas, all these things we want to do. And we're like, no, we got to make sure you know how to drive the car first. Like, you know. And because if you go straight from invitation to innovation, you end up just recreating a lot of the same places of pain, brokenness, and hardship, but just in new ways for a new generation. So we believe it's got to go kind of all the way around. Um, one thing that Dave and I say a lot to each other and to a lot of our friends is that we really believe that we can only go so far in our walk. And at that point, that's our ceiling. That's as far as we've been able to go. And everybody that we disciple, we want that to be their launching pad. That's where they take off. That's their diving board. So they should inherently, if they're starting where we ended, they should go further than us. If they're at our finish line and that's their starting line, they should far surpass us. And I know for women, there often tends to be an air of competition or comparison with that. And just encourage you, let it go. It's ungodly. Like just let that go. It doesn't matter. You want them to do more than you. That means you're a great teacher. You can yourself on the back. You did that well. All right. Um, Jana, I'm going to make you raise your hand. Hello. That's Jana. That's one of my dearest friends, Jana. Um, and I'm going to brag on her for a minute because a couple of years ago she came to me and I knew who Jana was, but we weren't friends yet. And she said, hey, will you disciple me? And I believe I laughed in your face first. So I said, ah. Jana, you don't even disciple me. She said, no, really, I'd like you to disciple me in season. And so we didn't know what was coming around the corner. Um, but she's phenomenal in her own right. She's loves the Lord, driven by the Holy Spirit, and was already had started a nonprofit in Uganda, uh, but didn't know what was coming around the corners. Kind of hit like a dark spot with um, just some, but just spiritually what was going on with Uganda. And I got to walk with her in that season. And she has since um, helped to go to Uganda, the capacity I didn't have at the time with three little kids. She has gone, she has discipled tons of women there, helped train over a hundred pastors that have been released in a small village to go out into their own different villages. And so she has gone further and farther than I could ever go on my own because of God, because of Holy Spirit, because she was humble to sit at somebody's feet and learn for a little bit, walk with somebody and then take it, innovate it, and make it her own because Holy Spirit's gifted her uniquely, differently than me, and she's killing it. She's really awesome. You know, think about um, five years ago, um, you know, we're downtown Nashville, we're planting this church, and and this, this one Sunday, I'll never forget it, uh, this young guy from Lisbon, uh, Portugal, shows up. And uh, just, you know, I'd never seen him in our church before. He shows up and uh, he walks up to me and he's just passionate. And he's like, God has radically changed my life. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm a new follower of Jesus. I mean, it's like 13 seconds after the sermon. I mean, it, I mean, so we're getting ready to take communion and he's just, he doesn't know any of the rules of church. He's like, he's going off. And I'm like, cool, would you become a follower of Jesus? And I'll never forget this. He literally looks at his watch and he goes, about six minutes ago, <laughs> I'm like, wow, that one, that's unbelievably precise. <laughs> uh, what do you mean, how'd you become a follower of Jesus six months ago? Like, to describe that to me, but you know, he's, he's telling me about this, and, and uh, a really cool story, you know, he had come from Lisbon, he was in the music industry, they, somebody brought him to Nashville to train him uh, to help launch uh, a, a music coaching company in Lisbon, he's really talented, works with all the top artists on billboard charts in, in Portugal, and he'd come over to Nashville to train in music. And he was staying at a hostel that was run by somebody at our church. They brought him to our church. 
he's sitting there in the middle of a sermon, and, and he doesn't have any of the right language. It's just so beautiful that I love being around people like this. You know, he says, "Yeah, I was sitting there and you're teaching." He said, "There's just this spirit power that came on me." <laughs> that was literally his description. This there's spirit power came on me, and I just started crying, and I knew that God loved me and that Jesus was raised from the dead. I thought, "Wow, that's it's pretty amazing. That's the Holy Spirit power." You know, and he's just talking about it, and then you know, the next week I had the joy of like you know study with him and baptize him. He goes back to Lisbon. And so I remember about a year goes by, he and I are keeping in touch, emailing, FaceTiming. And uh, I'm in India the next year working with some of our leaders and church planners there. And I get this email from him in India. He says, man, the Spirit who called me to Jesus, he called me to plant a church. And he said, I want to come and learn how to plant a church. And so he comes back over to the States. And he spent some time going through this journey with us. And goes back over. And then our family goes and spends time in Portugal with him. And he comes back and we go back to Portugal. And it's kind of been this, this deep relationship of trying to walk these things out. And he's he's not just started a church, but he's starting disciple-making uh, culture uh, there in the heart of, of Lisbon, and it, it's amazing because for years he lived. Uh, just imagine the, you know, the, the life that a really popular producer would live in a very secular city like Lisbon. And I remember one of the first times Sydney and I were over there in Lisbon with him. Uh, he, he said, "I want to take you guys out downtown. Uh, I want to take you out so you can just see." the culture that we're trying to reach. He's like, you got to understand. If you only come to our church services and our small groups, you won't have an understanding of what we're up against. So he took us out uh, you know, on a Saturday night into the club scene there in, in Lisbon. And, you know, we're, we're literally going through the streets. And Tell them when they took us out. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it was like 11 p.m. at night. That's when we started. That's when we started. I in bed by then. We're like straight up old people now. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> in bed by then, but it was 11 o'clock, and we are just getting an ice our week, and we got to the club with him. And he said, I just want to show you, you know, what we're up against. And I'll never forget, you know, we're walking through the streets, and uh, for some reason, everybody thought I looked like a guy that buy drugs. They're all trying to sell me drugs. Everybody trying to sell me drugs. And he's laughing, but um, we'd be walking down the streets, and people would literally just, I mean, crowded streets of Lisbon, they'd just yell out, Jesus! Because they'd see him. Hey, Jesus! They'd, they'd yell, Jesus, and I thought, I, well, why is everybody yelling Jesus? Because they all know that when they see me, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. And, uh, because, and, I, and I was just so cut to the core. I went, man, when I walk through the streets of my city, people don't yell at Jesus. I'm like, that's, that's, not the, that's, not the, that's not the expectation, you know. Um, it was really fun. We were with him this spring. And he sits down and he, he says, Dave, he says, I want to show you. He says, we've created this book in Portuguese. And he says, it's... It's 38 weeks. He says, it's all the practices and all the principles that you've taught me. And he says, we put it in this book. And he says, we have these experiences and these environments that we're going to work them out in. And I'm sitting there. And I, I'm not going to lie. At first, I felt shame. I'm like, you're so much better at this than me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like such an imposter. You know? like, and I thought, wait, no, this is it. This is, I want him to be better than me. I want him to go further than me. Like, that's, that's the journey. That's the journey. And... If, if, if we can walk in humility, the humility of Christ together, and say that this is not about us advancing our own story, or our own ministry, or our own thing. It's about us advancing the cause, and the character, and the competency of Jesus into the world. If that's the cause, then I think we can become kind of the foot-washing, disciple-making servants that can really make uh, a dent. And so this is, for us, the journey. You know, for some people, 
this last a year or two. For some people, this last seven or eight years. For some, we have yet to come to the end of the journey. Some start it and they get stuck and they don't finish it, just like they do with Jesus. You know, um, it's it, it's a process. But whether it's a church planter or one of our kids or somebody on our staff or uh, somebody that we're trying to disciple, we, we recognize that it's typically going to go something uh, like this. So we want to end with just a couple of real quick encouragements, and then we'll open it up for Q and A. And um, the first is this, um, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you pray, this will not always work. Right? Like, can we just kind of all, like, um, uh, maybe this sounds sacrilegious. I don't think it is because I've got Bible verses to prove it. But uh, um, at least from our understanding, Jesus' disciple-making efforts didn't always seem to work. Uh, they abandoned him. Uh, they had him killed. Um, they misunderstood him like crazy. Um, in fact, Jesus tells a whole parable, a whole set of stories in uh, Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4. Uh, basically, hey, you're going to throw the seed out and about 25% of the time it will take root. You know, I'm not sure he was giving us cold and hard stats there, but he's at least giving us an understanding that no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you submit your ways and your will and your plan to the Father, it will not always produce the outcome that you want it to produce. Perfection is not the key. That's not what we're going for. It's obedience. Is that you're doing? Yeah. Uh, the second thing is uh, this will be much slower and messier than you want it to be. And you all know this. I'm not giving you new information here. I'm hoping. I'm hoping this just encourages you, like, uh, because we're dealing with real people um, uh, that have their own free will. They come out of all sorts of backgrounds with all kinds of baggage, and it's just hard, hard, slow, messy. It's just really hard, really slow, really messy. Um, it is it is much easier to get somebody, and I'm not knocking on this, by the way. Um, it's it's much easier to get somebody to go through your discipleship class and they complete all the work. Like they can do that. It's much easier for that to to be completed than it is to look at somebody and go, man. Boy, the fullness of Christ has been formed in them. Galatians 4.19. Like Paul says, I labor until the fullness of Christ has been matured in you. You know, every year we bring in church planters and they come and they start a one-year journey with us. We take them through trainings and teachings. And, and every year we have people that make it all the way through the journey. And I go, it's easy for them to get through that journey, but for the fullness of Christ to be developed in them is so much messier, so much slower, so much more complex, and sometimes, honestly, just so much more discouraging. Why is that so hard? And I mean, it's true of me. Like, it's not just true of the people trying to disciple. I feel that. I'm like, I'll be teaching a discipleship class this morning. You guys all think this is awesome. I'll go home and yell at my kids this afternoon. I'm like, ah, like, why? And I know you guys have never done that. You're more But it's like, I'm still in process. I'm still being formed. And so, uh, number one, this won't always work. Number two, it's going to be slower and messier. It's that, it's that principle of the mustard seed. The mustard seed kingdom. Don't you hate that teaching from Jesus? <laughs> Jesus says, let me tell you what the kingdom is going to be like. I wish you would have said, it's going to be like a forceful, radical army. Like, he says, it's going to be like a little seed. <laughs> and, but eventually it takes over the whole garden. And uh, it, that's, that's the thing. Um, uh, number three, this thing that we're describing here, it's about developing both character and competency. Um, 
you know, and you may disagree with me on that, but I know in the North American discipleship landscape, there's there's kind of two far extremes. One is it's all about inner character, personal development, you knowing the heart of God, which is super important. And the other extreme is all about can you do these seven things that Jesus did? And to us, it's yes and yes. It's we want the fruit of the Spirit. We want the fruit of the Spirit internally and externally. We want the fruit described in Galatians 5, and we want the fruit that Jesus is also talking about in John 15. We think that's a character and a competency thing. That character and competency thing for me, really, when we were talking about the principles and practices, that's where I really see that, where I see, hey, where are you doing things well? Where's your gifting and really encouraging that? And then also, hey, where are you maybe lacking or where are you weaker in some of these disciplines and helping pull that along? Um, And last last but not least, um, despite all the messiness, all the slowness, all the false starts that you're going to have, we still believe this is God's plan for changing the whole world. Mm -hmm. We we really do. And uh, I think we've got to be careful in this conversation not to pit disciple-making against church as we know it and all these things. You know, I see Jesus discipling in so many spaces. He's standing up from the crowds teaching them. He's walking along the road with two or three. He's with the 72. He's in all these different spaces, you know. Um, uh, we believe that as leaders, you know, our job is to say, hey, God's doing work in all of those spaces, but we want to give first place energy. We want to give first place energy and effort to the work of disciple making. And and so for us, that's that's where it comes down to it. We do lots of teaching and leading in big environments. We do lots of things. Um, but at the end of the day, we always are going on this journey. A handful of people that we're wanting to see the fullness of Christ in. So here's here's my word of encouragement to you. Um, as you continue, I know you're not starting discipleship. You guys are doing discipleship. That's why you come to a conference like this. Is that to be encouraged that even your best efforts that feel as though they're falling woefully short, in the hands of God, they are unbelievably powerful. Uh, you know, our shortcomings in the hands of God go such a long way. One of my favorite quotes of D.L. Moody, uh, way back in the day, he was getting challenged by a bunch of seminary professors. They didn't like his style of evangelism, and they were just like holding him to the carpet on it. And, and uh, they get to the end of kind of holding him to the carpet on what they thought was the wrong way to do evangelism. They said, what do you have to say for yourself? And he said, well, all I know is I like my way of doing it much better than your way of not doing it. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, I want you to hear that. I like your way of doing it. You know, this is the way that we're trying to do it. I like your way of doing it. I like, I like that you're trying. I like that you care. I like that you're coming after it. And then God's just going to bless uh, the fire out of that. So we'd love to open it up for a few minutes of Q&A if you have any practical questions or um, anything. And, and then we'll wrap up in a few minutes. We'll be done on time. So. Yeah, so in, you know, I mentioned some different environments earlier. I talked about our church planners. I talked about our kids. I talked about, you know, and there's different, there's different levels of maturity. I'm looking for a different level of competency out of a church planner than I am out of an eight-year-old in our little boys' man trap. Um, but I, I will say there's a few things for us that we're looking at, and, and you can plunge the depths of, of these things, but as we think about disciple-making for us, we think about your relationship with God, your up relationship, your relationship 
with your disciples, which is your in relationship, and your relationship with the world, which is your out relationship. And, you know, once again, that's language that we got from our friends Mike and Sally. But, uh, so for us, we went around and went, okay, what's some character and some competency that we want to develop in each of these areas? And so, in the relationship with uh, God, do they know and love and understand and trust His Word? Do they know how to discern and follow and obey His will? Do they know how to recognize and cherish His active voice? Uh, do they know how to worship in spirit and in truth? And for, for, for us, it's terrible. This all happens both personally and... You see why I wrote this, right? <laughs> Sorry, and communally. And so we're going, hey, can we, can we develop can we develop these sorts of things in them? In the, in the end phase of their journey, um, all of this stuff that we're talking about, we're going, how do we develop that in the context of both play and purpose? In other, in, in other words... How do we develop rhythms together as we're doing this that are filled with joy and life but the kingdom of God? So how are we learning how to confess sin and to share our hearts and to uh, hold each other accountable and how to celebrate and mourn together? You know, this, quite frankly, you go all throughout the, the New Testament and it's all of those together verses. You know, it, it, I think it's just fun to read through the New Testament and see anytime you see the word together in the uh, in the epistles, especially to ask the question, okay, this is probably something that can only be done in the context of togetherness. And that's the stuff that we're trying to figure out and play a purpose. And I'm just giving you guys the flyby because of time. And then over here on that, the out phase, kind of the character and competencies that we're trying to develop is the ability to discern what's happening in the world around us. That's kind of the men of Issachar. They knew the times. They knew what needed to be done. They discern. Um, they know how to demonstrate what the kingdom looks like. You know, so in Luke, t- uh, in Luke 10, when Jesus sends them out, to, before they declared the gospel, they showed the gospel. And so it's the work of demonstrating the kingdom, and then last is declaring the kingdom. And so these, all of this is personally and communally, you know, these are kind of the core things. And what we say is right here in the middle of it is you and your friendship with Jesus, you're following him into each of these realms. As you learn how to do it. So, um, at different levels of the disciple-making journey, how we're trying to teach our boys right now in the Word is very different than how we're trying to teach our church planners. So with our boys, we're teaching them the books of the Bible. We're teaching them the kind of the... Memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture, the mountain peak moments of the gospel narrative. We're teaching them those big things. With, with our church planters, the first year with us, we go through every single verse of Scripture. All the way through, you know, and we're trying to develop a little more robust theology in this guy and gal. So... Um, it's the same principle, same competency, just totally different level. Does that make sense? Kind of so. one of those things I think when I'm, when I'm looking at the up and out, it's like, okay, do they have a heart that's tender to the Holy Spirit? You know, taking the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh, where's their heart what, in relationship to the Lord? Is He king? You know, do they really care about what His Word says? Where's their heart? Is it soft in that way? Um, are they working together community um, for the greater good? the whole discipling and moving forward you know are they able to um, within their group challenge and encourage those that they're around are they a blessing and a gift to their church community and do they care about the lost because if they have a heart and they're listening to the Lord they go hand in hand right so you see some some of these things kind of integrate with each other you know for us you know we have found that simplicity is the key 
And if, if we can't remember like what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish, we'll never get it done. The freak kids have no brain left. Yeah, it's it's like, we've got no brain power for anything. And so like with, with our kids, we've developed some rhythms where we're trying to instill these things. So very simple things like where we're saying, okay, hey, every morning we're going to try to start our morning. You know, that's going to be a vehicle by which we do some of these things, the dinner table. So every morning we're going to eat a quick breakfast. It's chaos. There's spilling food everywhere. We're you know, trying to get ready for school. But, but we're, we're going to get into the word together, you know, around the breakfast table. We're going to figure out how to apply it. We're going to talk about it. But we try to even get more simple than that. We'll say, hey, this month, like this whole month, we're working on this one thing in the word together. So that way, like on, on a crazy morning like today, where we're coming to talk at discipleship conference, we're not having to. I'm not having to get up at 3:30 in the morning going, "Okay, what's my plan in the Word for my boys?" I go, "This whole month, this whole month, this is what I'm working on." Like, so when, when we're driving to school, when we're giving them baths, when we're eating breakfast, she and I both know the one thing that we're trying to work on. And in every round, we're just trying to bring that thing up, you know. And and it's not because that's the best plan for doing it. It's just because we're not smart enough. We don't have enough brain power. We don't have enough creativity or energy to do it better than that. So you know, so. But, so what I say is just, you know, even keep it simple. For us, this initially started with, okay, we'll just develop friendship with God with the people that love Jesus and with those that don't love Jesus. And it started simple. We just kept building on it until it kind of flowed out of us naturally. The original quadrant you drew, and you talked about cozy, mm-hmm. stressed, empowered. Mm-hmm. You're coaching leaders who are discipling other people. How do you lead them? Are there phrases or their leading questions to help them evaluate if they're in that kind of relationship where it's all about coziness or it's stressed or does that make any sense? How do you turn that when you identify, oh, this is this is trending towards cozy, but we got to move towards empowerment? Yeah, that's, that's really good. So um, a, a lot of times, a lot of times, and this is this is not science, but if this is a cozy quadrant. And this is the stress quadrant. When I'm coaching my leaders, a, a, a lot of times, if 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 they, um, I start hearing about uh, sin issues popping up in the group. Um, a lot of times, if I start hearing about a lot of man, so and so in my small group, they're they're drinking too much, they're doing this, they're doing this, and if I keep hearing about the same, you know, one of the questions I'll ask is. Um, hey, how are you? How are you coaching them towards holiness? Right. And that's a place where. So sometimes, like listening for that, or uh, another way is where I listen to. Um, uh, um, uh, when I hear things about um, uh, what I would just call like uh, missional boredom, um, I think I think where coziness eventually leads is to boredom, mm-hmm. and you'll see this a lot where people will work really hard. We've got to have friendship. We've got to have community. We've got to be vulnerable. And and that will hold a group together for about a year or two. And then beyond that, other things, other communities are. Because that kind of community does not have a strong enough gravitational pull to keep people prioritizing it above the other things that come into life. And so when, when I hear about like sin that keeps popping up or when I start to hear about a lack of engagement, a lot of times what I recognize is like something cozy is going on there. And so then it becomes, hey, how do we take how do we help you take steps to refining your purpose? And so a very simple like coaching move for us there is, hey, you need to kind of have a, a DTR conversation. You know, like when people are dating, they have to determine the relationship again. It's like, hey, it'd probably be important for you guys to get away, get out of your setting, 
And let's redefine the relationship, what's going on here uh, again. Now, down real, real quick, I'm going to add in here. So you talked about the boredom. You know, we were all made for a purpose. But we all feel that. When you're floating, you feel like you have no direction, no purpose. You feel bored <coughs> in life. You feel like, what am I doing? You know, I know the plans I have to have for you, declares the Lord, right? So he has plans for us. He's given us each different giftings. And so when you're just living in a grace-heavy, uh, when you're discipling people who are just grace-heavy, they're comfortable, like, oh, God's forgiven me, God's forgiven me, God's forgiven me. You're like, ah, oh, it's fine. But then you become just kind of bored with it. You've got to have somebody call you out into a greater purpose in order for you to move out of that. And what we have found is when you're trying to move a group from cozy to empowered, it's never a straight shift. It, it, it actually always feels like this. It feels like a dip, and they feel stressed, because if no one's challenged them, you start challenging them, they feel like, you know. Um, but that's for a relationship and walking with them, not abandoning them. That's what gets them through that stress. Yeah, and, and, and so this, this shift is marked by opportunities. It's marked by challenging. It's marked by redefining the relationship. It's marked by higher standards. Um, for people that are in this stressed out quadrant, it will feel the exact opposite. You're gonna, your leaders will come to you and they will say things like, "We're just exhausted. We're trying so hard. It's not working. It's not." And they will literally use that language a lot. And I'll say, "Hey, tell me about your house trip. It's not working." <coughs> what do you mean by that? Hey, this, it's not working. It's not. This is not working. Um, and you can hear the stress in here. And so what happens here is. Once again, it's not a straight move up into the empowered culture. A lot of times, it, it feels like a dip back into the cozy culture. And these people will feel like, you're wasting our time. Hey, here's what we want you to do. You're worn out, you're bored, you're stressed out. Hey, this week, you can't open the Bible in your small group. Dave, you're a heretic. What's wrong with you? <laughs> hey, here's what we want you to do. We want you guys to go to a restaurant, eat a really good meal, and we want you to take the whole time <coughs> asking each other how you came to faith in Jesus. Hear the story. Hey, hey, we want you guys to go for a weekend, and we want you to just like hear what's going on in your parenting, your prayer, and it's like, what? Dave, if we do that, we're not going to multiply like December like the plan. I'm like, you multiply the things that you have. It's not going to anybody. It's like you don't want to multiply what you have, like, you know. Um, and so sometimes when somebody's in a stressed out culture, and you're trying to move them into that, and you start helping them with those relational rhythms again. Uh, hey, have you guys celebrated each other's birthdays? Have you like got to know each other? They'll like, this is the purpose of it. But they'll come to life because it's here and they start finding the, the Father heart of God again. They tend to be so hard on themselves. They tend to be more legalistic. And if I'm not checking off the boxes, then I'm not worthy. I don't deserve God's love. And you've got to help them rest in the fact they're a child of God first. And there's no deserving. You are. You are loved. Last question. Do you think that those axioms that you shared with us are true for churches that are trying to make the shift to more discipling culture? I think that if you're a church that's been cozy, it's been so grace-heavy, when you try to move in that direction... You will lose people. Or the other side of it is, if, if you grow up in a, a church tradition that has maybe been... Um, uh, you know, very like kind of works oriented, works based, and you start talking about things like gospel identity, and you start talking about, hey, we've got to lead with identity. Um, they all love that at first. Those sermons preach really good until you have people showing up in your context that are benefiting from that sort of gospel preaching. And then, you know, so um, I pressure to tell the story, but. I think about there's been several moments where we've had people come into our community um, 
you know, I mean, I'll tell this one. Way back early on in our church planning journey, we've been preaching this relationship responsibility. Everybody loved, oh man, we love when you talk about that. And then one of the first uh, guys that Sydney and I brought to Ethos was a transgender homeless guy dying of AIDS. And we, and we brought him and, and he showed up with uh, the guy that he was with. And um, they went and took communion off the communion table. And man, just watch, watching people trying to figure out what to do at that moment. Wait, as he crossed the right lines, this happened, as this happened. And you could immediately feel these two quadrants just polarizing the church. All the people that were like, oh, come as you are, stay as you are, never change, Jesus is awesome. <laughs> and then, then, all the, then all the people over here, that they're like, we're not even sure Jesus went all the way under the water when he got baptized. <laughs> you got people that are like, that, you know, you have both of them sitting in the same moment. It's like, and, and you're trying to figure out, how do we, how do we walk this out? And it's that, it's that tension. And so for us, the reason we draw this picture together, we talk about it here, is it's got to be balanced diet. It's got to be both. It's, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be. And in different seasons, you have different capacity. You know, seasons when you need to heal, you need to be in that cozy quadrant more. And seasons when you're just gunning and running, you're going to function a little bit more ebbing towards that stress. Yeah. That's okay. I have a question, actually, maybe for both of you. What is it that's, and I'm kind of taking a left turn here, but... Um, we have several women represented in our organization as well, and we're looking for that right runway for you guys to fulfill what the calling is in your life. And that's very different than a man, and yet men are leading the organization. What are the qualities that just allow you to take off from the runway that you would, you would talk to the men that are running the organization and say, these are the characteristics that allow me to take off? You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? How do we... Um, it's funny, Janet and I have this conversation a lot, and, and it's a, you know, you... Because you guys seem to be, you know, you're taking off, and yet I've got to believe there's a lot of organizations that are suppressing that, and I'm concerned that we are. Yeah. How do we how do we hear from you so that, because I think our the ladies in our organization want to be taking off as well, and I think we're suppressing that. What What is that runway that, what does it look like? I just want to encourage you, just the fact that you're asking that question, that's it. Um, I happen to be married to the guy who's running our organization, so I've got his ear. I'm not worried about that. But, um, you know, I did not grow up in the church. He's so totally in charge. Let's just be abundantly clear. He's completely in charge. I did not grow up in the church, so I didn't have some of the same baggage that I'm realizing a lot of my friends have had. So I didn't feel that I was um, under anybody's thumb. I had a dad who said, man, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Let's go. I have a husband who says, what do you want to do? Sid? what do you want to be? Let's go. And so I feel very empowered by the men in my life. So that's the key is like, who's, who's running your organization? You know, that they're keeping their eyes on the Lord and realizing that men and women are uniquely gifted in different ways. Um, but it's together. You know, I, I talked about this the other day, but I tend to think about with men and women, when you think about the eyes of the body, you've got two eyes. Right? And if you had an infection in one eye, you wouldn't just ignore it, but you're fine. I can see out this other eye. Instead, what you would do is you would care for that eye because it's precious and valuable. But here's the deal with your eyes is that they are two eyes, so they're a little bit of two different perspectives in one skull united, working in tandem. One eyeball gives you vision, two eyeballs gives you depth perception. And so if you don't have two eyeballs, you don't see that yellow line on the floor. On the floor, It just looks like a yellow line. You don't realize, oh, it's a step off. 
so you trip and you don't have two eyeballs working together in tandem. And that's what we see is that we work together in tandem in different ways, just like when we parent, it's different. And he recognizes that and sees that even on his leadership team and continues to push and wrestle with what that looks like in the context of our church, but always saying, hey, you are valued, valued, you are uniquely gifted. How can we encourage you? How can we empower you? How can we help you grow and you go? Because, quite frankly, half the world's made up of women, and if you're not mobilizing your women, you're missing it. And, you know, for us, and this is kind of the elephant in the room and maybe the elephant in our culture right now, and so I figured nobody better speaking to that than a white male Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, you know, um, but, you know, not even talking about our church or organization or anything, just talking about us as a couple, you know, we, we operate in a complement. Of, of gifts and passions and ways. That's the way that she and I see the scripture. That's the way that, that we operate more together. Um, but but we we believe that God alone He sets the ceiling. He sets the and so we run together and and uh, you know uh, we, we we see this and, and we don't do it perfectly. And, and there's uh, what's weird for us is we sometimes feel this this pressure of what's happening in the culture mm-hmm. and what's going on in the culture. Then like, hey, are we cool? <laughs> like, I know we're cool, but like in the culture, just things are so crazy right now. And so, I think for us as men to um, to really in a season like this to to really be slow to speak, quick to listen, and to really, really to do that, um, you know, and uh, and to really ask God what He's doing. You know, I look at the women in our team and in our life, man, they're just the, the gifts of God in them. That's one thing, but what, what we try to say is it's not just that you have gifts, it's that you are a gift. You know, I love that picture in Ephesians 4. The gifts are people. Like, it's not just like functions, they're people. And, and uh, we, we've been gifted with all these amazing people um, that we're trying to leverage in a way that fully um, honors our understanding of scripture, fully honors the image bearer of God in all people, that fully uh, honors this mission that God's called us to. And um, so it's a it's a process, but that's what we're that's what we're trying to work out. Just we might talk of our church and just saying the two of us, we're constantly trying to uh, work that out. We got three little boys, we're trying to figure out how to instill that in them. Yeah, yeah, so um, Mike and Sally Breen, they started a group called 3DM Ministries, and they have tons of resources. Um, uh, you know, one of the things we mentioned today was in their book um, called Building a Discipleship Culture, and uh, it's a really influential book. Um, gave us some good handles when we first started this journey. How do you um, define the relationship at the invitation stage? How formal is that? Is that word of mouth? Is that we're having this conversation? Is it like, um, like Sydney, you said, you know, Janet came up to you and said, hey, I want you to disciple me. And sometimes it happens that way. But sometimes you got your eye on some key leaders and you kind of want to disciple them. How, how do you do, how do you approach that? We, we talk through kind of your, yeah. and I'll talk from the more leader side. Um, so kind of the way that I that I learned the hard way is I really see that there's three aspects to that. You know, when, whether it's me identifying someone and coming to them or somebody coming to me, one is just I pray and discern through it first. That's just kind of a given. Or even if I'm trying to pair up women in our 
our church have a lot of them come to me and say, hey, I'd love someone to disciple me. I actually have them fill out a little mini document that lets me know kind of their spiritual background, their story, their things they enjoy doing. Because it's just true. If you can click and connect with someone relationally, it just takes your discipling so much further. But what's been cool is as I pray over the women to match up, like God knew things in their lives that I didn't know they didn't divulge to me, but when they were paired together... It just so it's really cool. I mean, God's going to work greater things than we can ever do. But the three things I've learned the hard way: one is expectations. I'm an expectation person. Even when I go to dinner, like if I know we're heading to Baja Burrito and it's closed, oh, I've got to grieve it and mourn it before I can turn. And go. <laughs> I struggle with that, and I've hurt people before in the way I've discipled. Just totally confessional. Um, because I didn't set clear expectations of what they expected, what I expected out of them, and then set it together. Like, this is what we're going to do together. So clear expectations. Two is goals. Like, hey, like this is what our goal and is here. You know, And one of those things um, somebody in the, in the hallway mentioned is um, you know, that they would reproduce and be discipling other people. That's one end goal for me. And then the third one is actually an end date. Because discipling is a relationship. And when you end it abruptly, it feels like you've been abandoned and dropped, just like a relationship. And so if I kind of say, hey, you and I are going to walk together until May, and then in May we're going to wrap this up, and it's a whole lot easier to say, hey, let's extend it, rather than go back and say, oh, we've got to end it quicker. So if I can give clear expectations, clear goal, and a clear end date, that invitation, everybody knows where we're sitting at from the start. So that's been helpful for me because of making mistakes. And you know, one of the things that I've found is, uh, depending on the level of risk for the person you're discipling, um, that level of risk totally changes um, your level of formality. And here's what I mean by that. There's a guy in our church who came up a few months ago and said, hey, I went through a my marriage. Would you disciple me? And he wasn't having to move to Nashville. He wasn't having to quit a job. He wasn't having to do anything to be discipled by me other than show up on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock, you know, and us begin that friendship. And so I said, yeah. And I said, I, I do what Sydney does. I said, let's let's take this through. We'll, we'll kind of go from now through August. We'll reevaluate, see what God's doing in your life. And it was a very informal, verbal, mm-hmm. I hear where you're at. I'd love to help with you. Um, because for him, there was really no risk in it. Um, but like with our church planners, folks that want to, you know, we have people who quit jobs, move cities, you know, uproot everything. They come and they they show up in Nashville, and it's like, that's a gigantic risk. And so before that ever happens, we try to sit down and say, hey, we have like written stuff with them. Hey, here's what you can expect from us. You know, because that... And we hurt people unintentionally. People show up and they're thinking they're going to they're gonna have dinner at our house every night. You know, like, hey, I moved to Nashville. I bet you we're going to hang out every single night. Well, it's probably going to out that way. You know, but but the, the more risk, the more formal. Um, and uh, maybe that's too simplistic, but that's kind of a way that I think through it. Um, but we have found on that front end, even if you don't know everything that you need to define, just having a few key goals um, or a few key things makes it much easier to talk to them. I think we got time for like maybe one more, yeah, one more question over there. Yeah, so, uh, but that guy started to just kind of season by season by season, yeah. Um, so uh, for us, uh, we typically have a number of spaces that we're discipling in, maybe a better way of saying it. So we always have our inner three, and those are the ones that have been with us for years. You know, it's just, I think about two or three that have been with me, and I, eventually I'll rotate one out, somebody else will come in, but you have your inner core who are just, all the way in and take that long journey together. And then we typically have our 12, which 
will be our disciple, our, our church planning cohort, or our house church that we're leading this season, you know. And that's more group discipleship. And so typically the one-on-one -on -one stuff for us, or for me, Cindy does a little bit differently, for me, typically my one-on-one -on -one stuff always comes out of that three or that twelve. Um, and so I say, hey, I'm going to give myself to these 12 future church planners for the next year. And I know that um, these are going to be the guys that I'm going to sit down with one-on-one. -on -one. We'll go on double dates with them in their, their lives. Like, you know, these are the people that we're going to really go deep with. Um, and then occasionally there will be an outlier because something going on. Like this guy that I'm discipling right now, just because of what's going on in his life, I can't do that in a group setting. Um, and so I'm just walking with him because it's amazing. So I typically, uh, I'll have kind of my group of three, I have my larger group of 12 that I do in a group setting um, way more often than not. And out of that group setting, I'll pull guys out for some one-on-ones. Um, and then occasionally I'll have somebody where I'm just, it's a group one-on-one because of what's going on in their life. We have some friends, Aaron and Amy, after two weeks, really well. They, they do that like every other Tuesday night. They, like the women are meet at the house and then the men on the other. Um, they just have about five at a time. They're great at that. I tend to do one-on-one -on -one just because the season of my life right now, I stay at home with the boys. And so during that time is one of my great times where, hey, let's go to the zoo, pick up the kids. Um, I tend to do one-on-one, -on -one, which is why I often put a time frame now because um, like two of them that is wrapped up in May, <clears throat> One is chasing after the Lord. I don't like she's in the Word every day. Like we, I've walked with her. Like she's doing really well, and she really needed to be released to learn some other things from other people. Yeah, from one person. Um, the other one just kind of hit stagnant, and I, you know, that whole okay, I've pushed you as far as I can. Like we're not getting any further, so we need to end. So it was nice having those end dates for two totally different reasons. And because I do one on one, it's helpful for me to free that up. But I always can say, hey, let's extend longer. Like Jana and I now, it's more of a symbiotic relationship. She sharpens me, I sharpen her. It's back and forth, but that's been five years now. And so it, it's different for person. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.